Hey, this is Peter Bell, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, and the following is a sermon from our hopeful church plant, Santa Ana Reformed. We are under the oversight of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde and meet at 2 p.m. at Davis Elementary in Santa Ana, California. You can find us at the foot of the downtown Orange County Santa Ana Water Tower, as well as on our YouTube channel at Santa Ana Reformed and our Twitter handle at Santa Ana URC. Our address is 1405 Flower Street, Santa Ana, California, 92701. Enjoy the sermon and may the gospel of Jesus Christ dwell in you richly. There's mayhem in the streets. There's lawlessness everywhere. And instead of police keeping the order, it seems that the police are inciting it. No one knows who started this, so no one can stop it. Fire starts lighting up buildings everywhere. Kids are screaming, men are fighting, and women are trying to console. Unlike watching a candle burn, where you know when it's gonna end, you have no idea when this burning is gonna end, when the seeming apocalypse might cease. And in, in general, when we hear this, when we hear something like this, I think we in the West, especially around here, we think of movies. We think of movies which depict the end of the world, either a worldwide pandemic, we think of a lawless governments, or we think of a fringe group of, of radicals who establish their undeniable presence. However, in other parts of the world, this is not seen through a screen, a TV screen, this is seen through a window. So the vision given to Amos by the Lord, it can, seem, it can seem pretty distant to us. We don't see this, this is only back then. How does this relate to us today? The people in this time, they're unknown to us. And the further apart from our experience, the less we think this, this is us. It's scary, we read some of Amos, and we're like, how, how is this possible? This is not a place we wanna be in. Even, even frightening, but again, it's distant. It's far from us. We, like, we don't know experientially what this is like. But this, instead of being a depiction of lawlessness, is actually the Lord's lawful judgments on those who are lawless. In a turn of events, the first chapter of Amos, it actually doesn't aim at Israel. You expect it to. You expect it to go against God's people, but it actually goes against the nations first. It does end on Israel, but it goes to the nations first. It's placed upon all who do not perfectly obey the law of God, who have not the perfect righteousness imputed to them by Christ. They know something of the law. They know it because it's written on them, so they're being judged because they know this. And so Amos depicts a judgment, because this happens about 200 years before exile. There's a kind of small exile in the mid-700s, and there's a big exile in 587. This happens 200 years. So Israel's like, we got nothing to worry about. We're good. But it depicts the judgment to take place. It's like, Israel, this is, this is coming. If we take a look back, we take a look back on judgments having been placed with effects still to come. So a little bit of background, like we do at the beginning of books. 
this vision of AMS is set sometime in Uzziah's kingship. We know that's from about 792 to 740 BC. And Jeroboam II, which is 793 to 753. And before the big earthquake, which has been set archaeologically around 760. So we can set Amos sometime in the late 8th century BC. Most of it taking place sometime in the 780s. And this is important because there's a tiny exile that takes place with the Assyrians in about 760. And Amos' hometown, Tekoa, is described as a Judean town. So it's a, it's a given to Judah in 2 Samuel 14, which is also who he talks to first. He's from Judah, then he talks to Judah first. And most of these cities are given to Judah as part of their inheritance. It's obvious they fell. And we'll get to the rest as we continue, but this is all significant because the first two exiles like I said, of Israel is 760. This happens before the first small exile, but the big exile in 587. Israel's sitting good. The nations are sitting good. Like, no persecution. Things are going well. As long as we keep doing what we're doing, we'll be fine. And to think of the prophets, you want to think of a mountain range. We have a lot of mountains in Southern California. So think of a mountain range. Amos looks at the mountains and he sees judgments. So he knows something's coming. And he sees closer. We see closer. It's the same vision that we have. He looks closer and he sees judgment very close to him. And like kind of the, the top peaks closer to him. And the farthest peaks are we see is the exile, the, the true exile, those who are outside of Christ. But he kind of sees this mountain range, but he sees it very close to him. That's why when you think of a prophet, you want to think of a mountain range and the judgment they see close to them, and the judgment they see far away. It's big for the book of Amos. And so we'll see this, and we'll begin with earnest through these three points. The first is Yahweh's warning. You'll see that in your outline, verses 1 and 2 of the first chapter. You know, we've talked about kind of Galatians before and Judges before that. Amos 1, 1 to 2 is, is basically the table of contents. That tells us this is what's going to happen in the future. It's, it's him saying, I'm going to set up the scene and I'm going to go through the scene after that. We're told precisely what Yahweh will do through Amos against both the northern and the southern kingdoms. The northern being Israel, the southern being Judah. Next, the nations are warring. Verses 3 to 12. But before Yahweh's indictment of Israel and Judah, he says, I'm going to indict them. I'm about to judge them. And then he hangs on to his judgments. Instead of going to them first, he goes to the nations. He indicts the nations. It's rather significant. Most other prophets don't do this. They start with Israel. Amos goes for the nations. And last is judgment is coming. 1 verse 13 through 2 Verse 3. The harshest judgment is saved for the harshest crime. It's, it's eye for an eye. The prophets are talking about eye for an eye. This is the law. All they're doing is mediating law. You fail the law, we're going to give you the judgments according to the law. And he promises, without stating it explicitly, there's a complete and utter judgment to come. And he's, he's asking them, 
Where are you? So throughout this passage, I pray this becomes clear, and you have this on your outlines. Those in Christ have been judged in him, and they will enter the triumphant cry of his rest. And this oracle to the nations, as it's been called, because Amos is, is unique, that he goes for the nations first, begins with Yahweh's cry of judgment through the lips of Amos. Brings our first point, Yahweh's warning. Like I said, verses 1 through 2, they, it's both Amos' beginning, kind of the stock beginning, but it's also, it's going to tell us how this is going to play out. So we read it well, and tell us this is exactly what I'm about to say. And as referenced earlier, Amos, described from Tekoa, we're like, where on earth is Tekoa? Already cues us in to who he'll talk about first. Because that's a Judean town. So he's going to talk about Judah first. The southern kingdom. All these tribes kind of dot around the southern kingdom. So he goes for the southern kingdom first. So he knows these people. He's been around them. He's talked with them. He's hung out with them. He's done life with them. He, he, he knows them the best. So he goes after them first. So when he's called to and by the Lord to indict these people, he knows exactly what he's talking about. He's, he's not just saying this stuff because he's seen this in the vision, although he sees the judgment. He's actually seen this. He knows this. And Shepherd, I think usually we think like a wandering nomad with loose-fitting clothes, pulling around with sheep. But the word for shepherd is not normal. It's, there's another word for shepherd that's a lot more normal for actual shepherds. But this is also used in 2 Kings 3. The only other time this word for shepherd is used. And the word for shepherd in 2 Kings 3 is used for the king of Moab. This is not your typical shepherd. He's not just some, some podunk shepherd who's got a little staff and he's moving around with sheep. He's, you can call him like a shepherd king. He's got a message and he's about to, about to pronounce it. And he's treated as Yahweh himself. He's a representative. Kings are representatives of their sovereigns. Amos is a shepherd king. He's a representative of Yahweh. He's about to do Yahweh's work. In the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, as verse 1 says, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, it both, it both sets up, sets us within a certain time range. Again, before the exile. This is well before the exile. And the people it's being sent to. So Judah is the southern kingdom. Israel is the northern kingdom. So it's not just, okay, I'm going to hit them, I'm going to hit them. It's like saying all of Israel is under judgment. Everyone. No one's outside of this. And two years before the earthquake. So they're going to feel, they're going to literally feel this pretty soon. So the Lord roars from Zion, his holy mountain. So often described in the Psalms is the place where God dwells. That's, that's the holy mountain, Zion. From where he speaks to his people, the holy hill. The king, the warrior, announcing from the top of his sacred mountain, proclaiming words of judgments. You guys messed up, and you guys messed up big time. You know the law, and you failed it. Even if you didn't have the, ta the tablets of stone in front of you, you know the law inside, and you failed it. 
And this roaring too, it's, it's actually all throughout the book of Amos. There's a lot of lion imagery throughout the book of Amos, which should remind us of the Lion of Judah. He's using a lot of the same imagery in the book of Amos. Literally, like, getting ready to pounce, talks about in Amos, on evildoers. Those who transgress the Lord's sake covenant, both written on stone and on the heart. And from Jerusalem, the place of the temple, that's where the temple's at. He's about to judge the temple in Amos 9. So he kind of includes everything together. He pronounces it, then actually does it at the end of this book. He told his people to build this habitation in Jerusalem to worship him. And now is the place of their indictments. You worship me here, you messed up, now I'm indicting you. And then a different word, not the same word for shepherd, appears again. And it could have the connotation, borrowing again, like I said, from the first word used of Amos. And these are like the kings that he's about to pronounce judgment on. And Psalm 23 uses this word. As it does for David. It talks about David being one of these and the Yahweh being the shepherd. It's not just some shepherd, but it's actually a king. It's you're the king who will, who will guide me through this wilderness. You're the king who will guide me through this desert. And so when he talks about shepherds at the end of verse 2, he's talking about kings. And their pastures are the kingdoms. So it's an endearing statement, but it's also rather widely used in the Old Testament for kings. And lastly, the top of Carmel withers at the end of verse 2. Another, it's another high and holy mountain. And it's used one of the time at the book, or the book of Amos at the end, for people trying to hide in Amos, or trying to hide in Carmel. Where they try to seek refuge. When at the very beginning of Amos it says that's about to wither, at the end of Amos they try hiding it. So it's futile. It's just not going to work. You can't hide there. You can't hide from this judgment. No refuge from about, what's about to be pronounced can be sought. So the Lord will pronounce judgments, we're told it, and we start wondering why. What, what, have they, what have they done? This brings us to point two. The nations are warring. And there, are, there are six oracles of judgment before we get to Judah and Israel. And the six is significant. Numbering these is significant. The final two coming in chapter two. And this formula, when it says, Thus says the Lord for three transgressions for Damascus, and for four... I will not revoke. You're thinking, well, three was good, and the fourth one's kind of like, oh, that's too much. Most of us wonder, well, why can't the Lord just say, I'm doing this because you really messed up? Why does it have to say three plus one? Proverbs 30 is the only other book that uses this. Three plus one. And it's not for judgments. Proverbs 30, from verses 18 to 31, use this three plus one, or three and one, to describe something way beyond comprehension. Like, we can't even understand this. Effectively speaking, this three plus one is Yahweh saying it's too late. Can't do anything. My, my mind is fixed. You're done. 
So the first prophetic oracle is placed against Damascus. And this is the capital city of Syria. It's everything happens, economic, cultic, worship, everything happens here. But Damascus is not in the northern or southern kingdoms. Why are you going after Damascus first? Amos uses a literary device to, to have us waiting for it. He's saying, I'm going to pronounce judgments, but you're going to have to wait. I'm, I'm creating some tension. What is this judgment be? I'm going to go after everybody else and then you. And as these are coming, you're like, oh, this is, this is about to be really bad. And so this three plus one transgression means judgments has come. Not maybe wait a little bit or it's not bad enough. It's no, I'm rendering judgment now. You're under judgment. And the threshing sledges which they threshed, it can have some connotations of, of plundering the riches of the nation. Taking the iron, taking the gold, taking everything. So you can say like, kind of like stealing. These pagan nations have come in and plundered God's people. It's talking about they have come in and plundered Israel. They have come in and plundered my people. They've taken everything they had. So Yahweh will send fire against Hazel, another region of Syria. So Damascus is the capital. Syria is another, uh, uh, Hazel is another province in Syria. And devour the strongholds, which is the same thing as saying kind of like a pagan temple. I'm going to take down your temple. I'm going to take down your gods. Your gods are nothing. I'm taking them down. For Hazel and Ben-Hadad, they're both various provinces of Syria, with Damascus, the capital, pinpointed. We go after the capital and then everything else around it. And the gate bar, that's used from Exodus 25 to 39 as the foundation of the temple, which shows us he's going after worship. I'm going to take down your worship because those are false gods. I'm going to lift up my worship. My people didn't do it, so I have to do it. These are where the gods were worshipped. The Lord is tearing down their false worship. You plundered my people, you're worshipping false gods. I'm going to take care of this on my own. So they enter exile. The first oracle is pronounced. Pronouncing the oracle from Yahweh through Moses is, is not, this might happen. But if you do more, it's going to happen. But this will happen. You can't get out of it. The Lord's word both describes what's going to happen and promises that this will happen. The next oracle goes against Gaza in verses 6 through 8. And Gaza was a region filled with Philistines, which makes sense at the end of this, talking about the Philistines and Gentiles like Syria. And Gaza took the people of Israel and carried them into exile. And Gentiles, they wouldn't be called exiles because they're not exiled from Israel. They're Gentiles. The same judgment is leveled in Gaza. Their walls destroyed. Those which protect the people in the temple of their gods. Ashdod is a Philistine city about 12 miles north of Gaza, being the principal place of Dagon worship. 1 Samuel 5 5. And you've probably heard of the story of, of Dagon. Or Dagon. If you read the books of Samuel and Kings, it's, it's rather prominent. That's the God that falls down. 
in front of Yahweh. It's also in the book of Judges that Samson's told to destroy. That which Yahweh destroys through his anointed servant. So it's, he's, he's going after the gods. And after indicting gaze on Ashdod, the Lord turns his judgment gaze over to Ekron, which is another city, and it's actually assigned to Judah in the book of Joshua. After the conquest, the northernmost city of the Philistines. So again, he goes after one region and every major city. Another region, every major city. Like, everything's under my judgments. You can sense both the frustration of Yahweh and the judgments. Especially in this. That should be Judah's territory. And they failed. So Yahweh has to do it on his own. That's what they're supposed to do in the book of Joshua. And they don't do it. So Yahweh's got to do it himself. And to leave not a scrap on the table, he concludes this oracle and the remnants of the Philistines will, will perish. Like, even if I haven't got everybody, everybody else is included in this. Everyone is judged and not a person has escaped. This tensions are mounting. It's just judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. There's a drumbeat of judgments. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. This next oracle is shorter. And it gives us new information. It actually tells us a little bit why of this why this is happening. And starts paralleling both northern and southern kingdoms. Tyre is a Phoenician city. So we go Syria, we go Philistines, we go Phoenicians. And the same indictment is placed on them. But Amos adds, and do not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Woodenly, it's do not remember the covenant of their brothers. So the law written upon our hearts, remember, this is not Israel, so they don't have the written law. They have the written law in their heart. It tells us to seek the good of our neighbors, the good of our brothers. Don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. We don't, we don't need somebody to tell us not to do that. We know this is wrong. It's written on our hearts. And they're failing to do what's written on their hearts. They're told, be good to your brothers, be good to your neighbors, and they don't do that. They don't show fidelity to their brothers. And the fourth oracle against Edom is the fourth indictment. And Edom actually gives us a connection with the previous prophet Joel. Because Edom is the last one pronounced in the book of Joel. And those in Edom pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and tore his anger perpetually and kept his wrath forever. You're meant to read this with the previous judgments. That's what not remembering your covenant looks like. You go after them with a sword. You kill your brother. This is like saying, they don't need the written law that Israel has to fail it. They can fail it perfectly on their own. They're slaying their own people. Again, they don't need somebody to tell them this is wrong for them to know what to do. And also, it's, it's them taking on what you can call Yahweh-like language. 
they cast off their pity. The Lord says, I have pity. They tore their anger perpetually. They're acting like a lion. They're tearing. The Lord says, I am the one who roars from Zion. They're starting to act like Yahweh. They're starting to kind of take on Yahweh characteristics. So you can, you can say, they're taking the Lord's judgment on their own hands. I think I know what's better. I'm going to judge my friend. I'm going to judge my brother. Yahweh is working too slow. I think I can do this better. So it gets, it gets harsher and harsher and harsher. So this vivid imagery leaves Edom in the condition, same condition as the rest. Fire consuming their strongholds, their palaces, Tamon and Bozer fall, which are both provinces of Edom. So all of Edom is under judgment. Just wondering, is, there, is there anything that's done right? Is anybody doing this thing well? Because all we see is complete and utter judgment. No one's doing this. You start thinking with Paul. No one does right. And you're like, oh yeah, no one does right. And notice though, Yahweh hasn't touched Israel or Judah. He goes directly for the nations surrounding his people. Many people, you'll hear this, will ask of God's judgment. What about those unreached people group who have never heard the gospel? Will God judge them? They don't, it doesn't look like they know. Will God judge them? Amos comes in and he's got a searing indictment. Yes, they don't have the written law. They don't have the Bible in front of them. They don't have the special revelation. But they do have the law. They do have the law in their hearts. Everyone knows. As Paul points out in Romans 2, everyone is under judgment. And these first four indictments, if you, we read all of chapter 1, they're rather tame compared to the last two judgments. And this is before we even get to Israel. All, all the judgments are, they get worse and worse and worse as you go along. They think Israel and Judah are worse than this. Him starting with the nations means Israel and Judah are worse. I haven't even got to them yet. This brings us to the last points, and judgment is coming. And we start thinking, where is hope? Who's going to come in and make this right? Because wickedness intensifies. It gets even worse. Like, how can this get worse? And they're like, I'll show you how this can get worse. The fifth indictments. It grows. This is against Ammonites. It's another Gentile territory that actually fought Israel. We're showed, we're told, these are those who ripped pregnant open, ripped open pregnant woman in Gilead. And it's not just to rip them open; it's so that they can enlarge their border. That's why they want to rip open pregnant woman. It's, this atrocity itself is heinous. But they did it to get land. We want to enlarge our borders, so we have to rip you open. Israel has commanded themselves to enlarge their borders. That's what the historical books are all about. That's what Joshua and Judges are all about. Expand the borders. 
And now Ammonites come in and says, we're going to rip them open and then expand our borders. They take the command and they flip it. And a lot of, a lot of the prophets are flipping commands. We're going to follow our own and then they get judged for it. And Rabbah will be judged with the fire of Yahweh, rightfully so, because they're the capital city of the Ammonites. In the whirlwind, the battle cry of Yahweh breaks out. It's, it's kind of like the worst judgment the nation can experience. So he'll strip them of their kingdom, <coughs> strip them of their provinces, strip them of their temples, strip them of everything. The kings and their princes, as verse 1 1 and verse 1 2 say, Amos will be left without a kingdom. They'll be exiles. Nowhere to call home. So rightfully, they will walk with the exiles. They'll be treated like Israel. And the last prophetic judgment against the nation, specifically Moab, the last encampment the people made before they entered Canaan. This is in the book of Numbers. This is their last stop. Before they entered the promised land, they're in Moab. So it's fitting that this is the last judgment before he gets to Judah. And these Moabites, they, they burned to line the bones of the king of Edom. Remember, the fourth oracle was against Edom. <laughs> now they're warring against each other. We already talked about this in point two. They're warring against each other. So judgment is mounting. And burning to lime the bones is actually what Israel is supposed to do. The Deuteronomy 27. The Lord brings his people to land that they might do this of the land. Not the bones of dead people. For this, the Lord will consume their strongholds. And so this drum beat carries on. It's not just Israel with judgments for transgressing the written law. It's those who transgress the law written upon their hearts. So Kerioth is then consumed, and it's a city of Moab in the southern district of the city given to Judah. And Moab will die amid this uproar, continuing the imagery given to the Lion of Yahweh. They're roaring against the nation. So there's there's this lion imagery all throughout. I'm wondering, where is the true lion? Who's the one who's going to come roar from victory, non defeat? And this roar cry amid shouting and the sound of the trumpets, it's the shofar. The, the trumpet here is shofar. And the shofar, if you know the book of Leviticus and Joshua, it's prominence in both books. Because the shofar is what the priest sounds at the Day of Atonement. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been covered. And when the walls come crashing down, they sound the shofar on the seventh day of Jericho. That's what they're sounding in this passage. It's a day of triumph. Not the nation's triumph, but Yahweh's triumph. I pronounce judgments, my righteousness will last. So Yahweh has the last shout. 
before we get to Israel and Judah, he has last shout. He's shouting over the nations, which roar with their last breath. They're fighting, and they're not going to win. So the shout of Yahweh is him pronouncing, I've won. I beat you. For Yahweh himself will cut off the ruler from its midst and will call, kill all its princes with him. Which is what we see in verse chapter 1, verse 2. Pastures of the shepherds are mourn. That's them. They're mourning. A mighty fall and an even mightier victory cry. And so as you conclude, we might ask, where's the hope? Where's our victory? In the triumph of Yahweh over the nations, Yahweh says, I won. I've pronounced victory. Remember, the trumpet, it sounds the day of atonement. That's the last day of atonement when all the sins are forgiven. The goat is left off. The final sacrifice is done. The cry of the Israelites, the foundations of Jericho trembles or crumbles, pronouncing victory, not the people's victory. This is the Lord's victory. And what vivid imagery given throughout these oracles. Because all of them promise judgments. So we, have, we face this question. We face the question of judgments. Will you be judged? So is your judgment like them? Is it coming? Are you looking forward to judgment? Is judgment in front of you? Or have you been judged? Is judgment behind you? Amos, he looks at this coming judgment of Israel and says, judgment's coming. And it's displayed most prominently in the cross. He sees this far out. He knows something's coming. And this mountain range I described becomes clear for us with the end of this mountain range. He says the front of this mountain range is exile, the end of that mountain range being that cross. Because if you notice what Christ goes through, he goes through this. He goes through the judgments of the nations. He goes through the judgments that we deserved. If you are outside of Christ, all of these woes, these six woes, they will come on you. They will fall on you. And they are coming at future judgments. Amos is, is very clear. Judgment is coming, or judgment has come. Because if you were in Christ, Yahweh's judgment fell on him behind us. We have judgment looking forward to us. We have judgment behind us. And he has satisfied the wrath of God for you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have not judged us as people who are still waiting for judgment, as, as people who have done all these things, we're still waiting for judgment to come. But you judge us in your Son. All of these woes, the nations, the book of Amos are, are looking forward to, hoping to avoid. They cannot avoid it. We cannot avoid it. You've placed every single last one of these judgments on your Son 
you've given us you've given us his obedience we have no judgment to look forward to because we've been judged we've been judged righteous we thank you we praise you through your son amen